I want to share some well thoughts, I guess. Um, we, we've talked about Psalm 8 before, um, months and months or maybe years ago, but um, when you go back to it and back to it, there's always something you didn't quite see last time. And I want to look at this, especially when it begins by, in verse 3, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, um, that came home to me very uh, very real. Uh, I was in Africa and a thousand miles from the closest civilization. And um, I had uh, had enjoyed uh, sort of, you would call it evening prayer. And I was laying in a hammock between trees and looking straight up. Uh, you have never seen the sky. Um, there's too much artificial light around but when you're a thousand miles from the nearest city, it's amazing what you see. And I discovered that night why it's called the Milky Way. It's because, in actual fact, you can't see between the stars. It's just it's like milk spilled across the sky. And as I looked at that, if you want to feel very small, um, a thousand miles from the nearest civilization, just for starters, and then look up at that vast universe and realize we are a speck. Um, and I mean that without going into astronomy, but we are but a speck in that cosmos. And that makes us uh, minutai. If we're on an, a planet that itself is a speck, uh, we are these infinitely small little creatures running around on it. Um, and then you realize with this psalmist, I'm, I'm looking at the heavens. I look to uh, stars that, uh, you know, are millions of miles away. And, and you realize exactly what he's saying. I consider the heavens the work of your fingers. The moon, the stars which you set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? I mean, get this straight. That this minuscule creature that you pour yourself into and give yourself away to, and uh, that this planet that hardly takes up uh, anything to be measured on an astronomical, astronomical chart, uh, and yet that's where the greatest purpose of God has taken and is taking place. What is man? And really, if if I could just weigh that this morning, just weigh it until it's gotten into my very guts. What What is man that you are mindful of him? Um, we have lost that in, in among believers today, especially in America. Um, and I, I've said this maybe too many times, but I'll say it again, that at a time when the church was at its most corrupted it had become totally religion without any uh, any sense of Jesus being alive and in the middle of it. Um, many things happened, and many things were lost. And when they were lost, there's no one left alive to remember what it was. And um, you 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 come to something we've got today, which let me say very carefully is far removed from what the early church, the gospel of that early church um, today, okay, put it this way, the early church from beginning to end, the gospel was the beating heart of God, uh, establishing relationship with us. What is man? That you are mindful of us. That was the gospel. There's, there's, there's this relationship established and being established and coming to fruit. Um, that, that's the heart of the gospel. And at that time when the church hit bottom, no longer had the right to call itself a church, um, at that point, it changed. It's no longer a relationship. It's a destination. And so when anyone would seek to lead you to Christ, you know what they're going to say. 
do you know that you'll go to heaven when you die? Destination. And what's all this about go to heaven? The, the Bible is not into that. The Bible's all about Jesus, who is God from God, coming from heaven to earth. And so the, this corrupt church is saying we've got to get out of here and go to heaven, while the true God is saying, I am coming into earth. He never changed his mind about the beauty of the earth, let alone the beauty of us. Um, do you know, this is a side, I'll be, just say it. Um, do you know where go to heaven when you die came from? Um, yeah, Plato. Uh, yeah, Plato. Uh, and exactly in those words, go to heaven when you die. And that comes straight out of Plato, and he invented the idea because he hated the earth. And he said the earth is corrupt and the whole... The whole meaning of life is to get rid of this body, which is made of stinking flesh, and get rid of the earth and go to heaven. And death is that beautiful friend that takes us out of the earth and takes us out of our body. And we finally know what it's all about as we float in the beauties of nothingness. Um, that's Plato, uh, Socrates. Um, and the church, at its lowest point, sucked that up and made it the basic doctrine of the church. So today, if one of those little evangelicals come to you and say, do you know where you'll spend eternity? Will you go to heaven when you die? Just remind them they're quoting Plato. And, and, and it's not in the New Testament. No, not in the New Testament. We are not into destination the gospel's nothing to do with where you're going. The gospel is to do with this dynamic relationship that we now have in Christ, in the Father. And so um, we, we, you could say that it's John 14, 20 that's at the heart of the gospel. You know, in that day, said Jesus, you will know that I am in the Father, then I am in you and you are in me. And if you can wrap that around, the ins, uh, he's in the Father, and we are in him, and he is in us, that we, we end up being wrapped in the arms of the Holy Trinity. Uh, and that is the relationship. For if I am in the Son, who is in the Father, then I am beautifully one with Father and Son. And, but it is even more amazing that Father and Son and Holy Spirit are inside of me. We, yes. we now have this complete uh, union. And today, when we say that, they say it's a new doctrine. No, uh, the, the, this was the original doctrine yeah. and uh, has been pushed out. But um, this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is not a stranger. We are not strangers to him. And that's the, 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 the song. I've got to get this. What, what, what are we that you're mindful of? It doesn't make sense that, that God, Father, Son, and Spirit would not only be our home, but they would come and dwell in us. And, and I'm not making that up. If you know your New Testament in, in Colossians, um, it says very plainly that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus and is complete in us. And, and even the Amplified Bible, which is a good evangelical um, translation, uh, it says, it spells it out that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live within us. Um, that was his prayer in Ephesians 3, that the fullness of God might dwell in you. That, that, that's it. Um, it says he's mindful of us and right for the minute I'll say that means he thinks of us um, there's a lot more to it but wait a minute but, but he, when he thinks about us what does that look like you ever thought of, <laughs> have you ever thought about God thinking uh, have you ever thought of the father speaking to the son in the spirit about you uh, at a, a time long ago, thank God. But I, I did. Um, I didn't think about it 
to, I mean, I was not very old, but um, when, I, when I thought about it, it was as if Jesus was in this room and he was meeting and he came to Karen and he lit up and said, oh, Karen, it was so good to see you. And Wes, it's so good to see you. And he's going around and, and, and he came to me and says, oh, you, where did you come from? And what past me, I, that, I've been raised to think any thought God had of me, he was mightily upset with me. Yeah. Uh, that's what I thought. I, I, I thought that the thoughts of God were always in terms of negativity. Yeah. But what we're looking at here is, again, that was coming from those days I just mentioned. Um, no, this is when, when God thinks of me, when God thinks of me in relation to you, when he thinks of you in relation to me and in relation to everybody else, he thinks in terms of his beloved. Mm -hmm. He thinks in terms of those that he has chosen, mm -hmm. that he refuses to be God without us. Mm -hmm. he, he, he has in, made us part of the history of God. That's very hard to say. It's too big for my little tongue yeah. to come out with that. But that's exactly what we're dealing about. Um, you know, it speaks of humans, but I think it's a principle that reaches into God, where it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And therefore, we know from the rest of Scripture that God is love. And he is that... Uh, different kind of love that the Greek word says agape which is totally self-giving love which is self for others which is the energy of love that is ever moving toward us to bless us and do us good and all that he does is give and therefore he is love who is always acting in grace which means extreme giving and that's who he is. So as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. When I come to the thoughts of God that he has toward us, they are thoughts of love that really is beyond any definition we have, except that he's 100% self-giving. And the best of human love has got a tinge of self for self in it. And he is forever in the mode of giving to us in the sense that you cannot pay, you cannot earn, and you cannot deserve. It is the love that gives. That's who he is. See, see, we're not used to that with the gods of the pagans. And again, that spilled over into our thinking about our God, that the gods of the pagans the demonic gods, the really the gods that don't really exist. Um, but I think the best illustration is in the Acts. Do you remember when that fellow, he got a quarter of the message and he yeah. believed that if he could just use the name of Jesus, anything could happen. And, um, and he went to a demon-possessed person. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. And he said, I can cast the demons out. And the demons answered him and said, well, look, Jesus we know. Paul we know. But who the heck are you? And I think that's so, so interesting that uh, Satan doesn't even know the names of his subjects. Um, the powers of darkness have no relationship whatsoever. They don't like you. And, and yet, um, that is what mankind chose over against this relationship with God. So he said, what is man that you are mindful of him? That depending on which translation of the Bible you have in your hand right now, um, that could be a number of words that they've translated it as. Mindful is probably the oldest and it's, it's good enough as long as you know what mindful means. But um, let me give you all the possible translations of that, all of which are perfectly good. 
It means, number one, to remember. And that is the covenant word, remember, mm -hmm. which doesn't mean a hazy going back into the past, but a bringing of the past into my immediate presence. That, that's remember. And that means that God never has to, in our Western way, never has to remember us. Um, you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about any of this? Um, <laughs> there, uh, there was a book, a very, actually I know the author, and it was a jolly good book in many ways, but um, came out, you know, back at the end of the charismatic. And um, he illustrates it by some, I believe he chose Korea, that some Korean people were praying. Uh, and, and the father, this hurts me to say it, God the Father, in his book, in his illustration, uh, says to Jesus, who are these people? I don't know who they are. Who are they, they, they want this? And, and Jesus says, don't you remember? I died for them. Oh, yes, I remember, I remember. That is the sickest, almost blasphemous portrayal of the Holy Trinity. But, again, it's where many people live. That God does not live in this continual eyeball, eyeball, face to face with you. But when God remembers you, it means, the covenant remembrance, that you're never out of his sight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Yeah. Never out of his sight. Never out of his thoughts. And it goes back to that expression that is used of, of the relationship of the father to the son, where it says, um, do you remember the Greek word pros? It means face to face. Some have translated it cheek to cheek, eye to eye. You couldn't be closer. And that, he, he remembers you. There's never a time when I have to introduce myself and say, Father, I haven't been around for a while. Do you remember me? No. Um, <coughs> I might not have been around for 50 years, but every breath I've taken is known to him. He knows us. We are immediately present to him. Um, another translation of that would be to focus one's thoughts. That is, you're not just one of a group. Uh, the God that we worship knows us specifically he knows us one by one and if you remember in the parables of Luke 15 um, have you ever thought of that that it was one sheep that got lost well you know the truth if you've ever been around sheep sheep get lost in bunches um, there's never a time when one sheep gets lost that they they're too beautifully stupid for that um, and, and they see the little tail of their buddy going over the hilltop and they follow. And then they're being followed and the whole jolly flock is getting lost. Um, <clears throat> Jesus met up with a strange flock. One sheep got lost. What's he telling us? What's he telling us? That he deals with us as one at a time. He never deals with us as a bunch of people. He deals with us one by one. We're one sheep. And there again, the necklace of um, gold coins, that other parable. Well, I don't know much about necklaces, but I, I've overseen and overheard that if the necklace breaks and one falls off, they'll all fall off. But in that parable, Jesus said one coin, same yes. thing. Father had two sons, but you get two parables out of that, one about one son and one about another son. Do, do you know? Yes. I, I am unique. I am special. Mm. I am known to God as if, as if I were the only one. Mm. With, with the full knowledge, you've got the same privilege. You have the same honor. You are the focus of his thoughts. Another translation which I kind of like is why do you give even a second thought to us? Yeah. Well, a second thought. 
you're walking down the street and then you see someone walk by and then they don't you turn around and say, do you know who that is? You ever thought that when you walk in the eyes of the Trinity, the Father looks at the Son and says, do you know who that is? Wow. It's, it's that sense that someone of great importance, someone that means so much, you give a second look. It, 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 you can't just give one look. You are arrested by their magnificence. That's you. Another translation says, why, why do you concern yourself with us? Why do you even notice us? Yeah. Why? We're so, so small and yet you give such importance to us. That's another translation. Sink into this. I'm not preaching, I'm sharing. Uh, This is the truth about me and it's the truth about you. There's two other words, um, and it is, you could translate it, I I would hesitate to, um, I think it goes a bit too far. But in actual fact, you look in the lexicons and it is a correct translation. Um, and the one is, you are obsessed with us. Mm. As if God's got nothing else to do mm. except to be face to face with us and to be involved in the little details of our life. And the other word, which I believe it is correct, except it's a bit, and that is infatuated. Mm. It says you're infatuated with us. You never stop thinking about us. You never stop talking about us. You, you never stop planning for us. Who are we? Mm. Who are we that the Holy Trinity would be engaged in such uh, possession of us? But I, I think he shows up when God became flesh in Jesus. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The way he was, well, I suppose, obsessed with, with knowing the details, you know, freshly risen from the dead. And he goes to the guys on Damascus and the Emmaus Road, uh, and he says, you look sad. Well, quite honestly, you could pass a lot of people in the street who look sad and leave it at that, they've got a problem. And he he pushes, he said, you know, what what is it? And then they say, have you not heard Jesus of Nazareth and go on to speak of the crucifixion? Because he was the only one who had heard the truth about that. But he says, what things? I I can't get away from this. He's pulling it out of them. Tell me what things? I know what happened, but how did you see it? And then they spill it out. We had hoped, we had thought, we gave up everything. Now the end of our world and it's all and he lets them talk and talk and talk and, and get it out. And then he turns and said, Oh, you are so thick headed. He said, It's been staring you in the face all through the Old Testament. Now let me tell you. And beginning of Genesis. He gave them a Bible study that lasted for miles along that road. Now, you've heard that story because I mean times, but stop and think about it. What is God bothered with us that he wants to know why we look sad? I mean, it meets Mary Magdalene in the garden right after he'd risen from the dead, and she's crying. And he says, well, why are you weeping? Before she realized who he was. But when you come to think of it, if you're going to hang out in a cemetery, people will be weeping. Uh, it, it's not a reason for question, really. But for him it was. He says, why are you weeping? And she spills it out, where her perspective, what she saw. And again, he reveals himself to her. Even back in the Garden of Eden, um, God says to Adam, where are you? 
Now, he, he knows where Adam is in, in more ways than one. But he says, what have you done? Again, he knew exactly what Adam had done, more than Adam knew what he'd done. Questions, questions, questions. He's so obsessed with us. He's infatuated. He can't leave us alone. He wants to know the details of what happened in the kitchen. But what happened out on I-10, you know, is what happened? <clears throat> he wants to know your perspective on it. He knows, of course he knows, but he chooses a sort of amnesia in order to find out how you see it, how you are looking at life, so that you have ended up in this, this situation. The kind of God he is, he's mindful of you. And then uh, the most ancient translation of this other one, you visit us. It's an interesting word. Um, in Greek, it's the word used for a bishop. Um, I'm a visitor. Bishop is one who visits. Um, the idea being to visit your soul and, and to correct and to show the way and to bring life and healing and help. That's a very old translation, the visit. But um, in modern English, it means care, the one who gives care. It's got the, um, all of the baggage of a caregiver. Um, like this last year after I was out of hospital, that I was in health care. And that was interesting um, for many reasons. But they would come um, every few days uh, and, and they would sit there and ask the questions and, and probe your mind and probe your feelings. And uh, it was someone that cared for you and was not going to abandon you to whatever this week holds. They're going to come and interrupt your week and to find out what's really going on, a caregiver. Another word would be oversight. Um, you're doing your work, but someone's over watching, um, and this one loves you. And so it came to mean inspect. Look and see what you're really doing. Because you see, we're very slow to even know the truth of how we're doing, let alone share it. Um, this one is the ultimate lover inspector who inspects us and knows perfectly where we are and is not mad at us and is leading us to the next step in this act of caring. And so it came to me to make whole. It was the shepherd who, before any sheep could go to the fold at night, he would run his hands over the whole body, feeling for the burrs, feeling for the cuts and bruises. That, that would be this word. I'm going to make you whole. I'm going to apply the oil. I'm going to apply uh, where it's necessary the, the wine, the alcohol to your wounds. And that's what they did. It meant an intimate involvement in your coming into this relationship with him. And this was repeated all through Jesus' life. He was the nightmare of religion. Yeah. He really was. I'm not just... You could say that he was asking to be crucified right from the beginning. He, he deliberately upset religion. There were things he could have done in private, and he chose to do it right in their face until they were beside themselves. I've already spoken of Luke 15, but it, it, it was all cause, those three stories or four, that they, they were spoken in a very public place because the, the religious leaders could come and sort of stand around the table and listen and watch and, and 
Why did Jesus do it in a public place? Because he has the, these tax men, and I don't need to tell you how hated they were. They were the scum of the earth. You, you couldn't touch. They were, they were the lepers of their, their souls. They were looked upon as lepers, and no one would touch them. Disgusting. Um, so he's going to have lunch, dinner with them. Well, that, that's, no, no, that's against all religious law. You, you can't do that. Okay, well, I've got a basement over here and we can lock the door, pull the blinds, and we'll have a jolly good time. No, out in public for everybody to see, but especially the religious leaders. Uh -huh. and, and it's what annoyed them the most is what caused him to give those parables. Do you remember what annoyed them the most? They said he receives sinners and eats with them. Yeah. Huh? Receive is a fantastic word in the original language. It, it means um, we, we were waiting for you. And, mm. you know, when you came, we nearly knocked you over giving you a hug and welcoming you. Um, you know, we got the phone call to say that I-10-1604 is all blocked up. So we, we didn't know when you were going to get here. And so there was that on edge. We're, we're waiting, we're waiting. They're going to come, they're going to come. And then you came and wow, everyone rushes to hug you and it's like you, you know, swear in the Atlantic. It's and, and, and that here, and that is the meaning of the word. It means to give someone uh, an overextended uh, greeting. It, it means my dearest friend has just turned up, and I can't believe it. Come in, come in. Um, he received them. Just a simple word, but all that lies behind that word. And then, of course, eat. Well, that was a covenant happening. When you ate with someone in Bible days, as indeed around the third world today, uh, the moment you eat with them, you have made a bond. You, you're in you're a bond of solidarity. I'm going to stand with you. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. I'll be your friend for life. Uh, he's doing that to tax men. He's doing that to these at the synagogue because excommunicated. And they're now dubbed as sinners. Yeah. He received them. He gave them all a bear hug. Crushed them to himself. Said, I couldn't wait to see you. What is that? Who are we? That when we are acting like pariah dogs, he still welcomes us. Unbelievable. And then, I mean, another tax man, Zacchaeus, the little chap, you know, yeah. and he climbed up the signal tree. Yeah. <laughs> but Jesus didn't just say, I see you. He stood, he said, come down, I must come to your house and stay the night. Because he said, eat where that took all night. And so... <laughs> How did he know his name? <laughs> Maybe that was part of the must. You know, must, it's that word necessary. It's, it's usually used, or not maybe usually, 50% of the time. It's got a divine decree in it. It's God said, it shall be so, it must be so. It was used when Jesus was spoken of his own sufferings. And he said, it is necessary that the Son of Man get into the hands of wicked men. So the cross is a must. Yeah. He said to Zacchaeus, I must. It's a divine decree. I've come to Jericho for you. Wow. Oh. That, that stirs me to the... 
But you are of such importance. You have been the discussion of the Holy Trinity and Father said you'd be here and, and I've come for you. Now we're going to go and have dinner and it will take all night when I'm finished. And the next morning, the whole economy of Jericho changed. Because he went around every house pouring out money on the table saying, I stole this from you, I stole this from you. Yeah, you take it. Wow. Um, of course, the other one, you know, he must go through Samaria. Well, I think most of you know he didn't have to. Yeah. That, that was not a geographical must. Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't that there's no other way you've got to go through. No, no. Because there was the other way, which every Jew really took, yeah. which was on the side of Jordan, don't even touch these Samaritans. But Jesus took the other route right into the middle of Samaria. And behind it was, I must. Why? Because there's a woman there that says, lonely, five husbands, they've all left her. She's kicked around like a nobody. So much so she's drawing water all by herself when the heat of the day is at its zenith. I must. I'm driven by this love that never stops looking at you. And I, I'm looking at that woman. I know her. And now I'm going to meet her. I must. Mm. And the way, you know, the five husbands thing, which is really in the village, that's what got her in trouble. Nobody would talk to her. Jesus put it up, really. You know, he asked that question. Go and tell your husband. And she said, yeah, I don't have a husband. He said, no, you don't. You've had five husbands, and the one you're living with is not your husband. Jesus brought that up. Why would he do that? Because he doesn't play with it. He doesn't go anywhere with it. Could it be that he just wanted her to know that he knew the worst about her? Yeah, yeah. But he pitched his tent right in the middle of her darkness. <laughs> he said, I, I know, so we won't even go there, but I do know who you are. Yes. Who is man that you are? Never take your eyes off him. You, you look at this woman who is an outcast of a village and you give her a second look, you see. Did you see who that was? That's the lady I came for. She's the must. And of course, you couldn't help but mention on the Damascus Road and light brighter than the sun. And Jesus, he's still at it. He's now ascended. He's known now as Messiah, Lord, God, and Savior. But he's in the brightness, and he said, Saul, Saul. In fact, he spoke in the Hebrew language, which I don't know if you knew, most Jews didn't. That was a sacred language of the temple. But um, Saul had been raised in a fanatical Pharisee home. Mm -hmm. And he said in his resume, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. Meaning, in our house, we only spoke Hebrew. Mm -hmm. In our house. We're so religious. We, we spoke the sacred language of Israel. Spoke Hebrew. So when Jesus meets him, he doesn't address him in Aramaic, which would be the street language that everybody used. He said, in actual fact, he would have said, Shaul, Shaul, spoke in Hebrew. Just like his mother used to call him to come and have dinner. Shaul, Shaul. The most intimate way he could get inside of him, he spoke the language of his childhood. Wow. 
There's another verse. This isn't the only one in, in the scripture. Psalm 144, verse 3. It's almost as if they could put together on this. But he says, O Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Or the son of man that you think of him? He said, look at us. Man is, is, is a mere breath. He said, we inhale a breath of birth and we exhale a death and it's all over you. We're just a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Well, why, 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 do you, why do you take knowledge of us? What's the matter with you, God? Why, why do you waste time thinking of us? Say, same idea. They use the word knowledge. What is man that you take knowledge? There's more than one word for knowledge. And the one that we use in the Western world is hardly ever used in the Bible because it's a worthless word. And that is to know about. Yeah. Um, I spoke the other week tonight and the uh, disciples of the rabbis, Taliban, uh, which meant I'm not addressing your head. I'm not giving you anything about. You will follow me, you will do as I do until I have become your life. God's not into the about knowledge. He knows nothing about anything. <laughs> it's the other kind of knowledge that unites with, I know it because I'm there. Yes. I know it because I'm looking at it right now. It's the knowledge that allows you to give witness in a court trial. Um, I was there. I saw it. My testimony. God, God, God takes knowledge. Or you could say, God has no knowledge about you. But boy, does he know you. I hate the difference. It means by personal observation. He didn't hear a rumor that you cried in the kitchen. He was there. First-hand experience. So it was used with a, a very strong friendship. You would use this word. Kinfolk. Now, kinfolk were, I know them. And it is used throughout the entire Bible to describe um, marriage and, and intimacy of marriage. Um, and it is never hearsay. It's never rumor. It's never that she told me. Always, firsthand, firsthand, I know you. And then he says, the son of man, that you think of him. You think of him. This is a specific word that's used there. It means to weave thoughts together. So it's not I know a bit about you. I take all that's your life and I weave it into who you really are. Mm -hmm. I, I know the big picture. It means to make plans together. Mm -hmm. It actually means to imagine your future together. <laughs> this is your God. This is the one we call Father, Son, Holy Spirit. See, we're very good at that last one. Um, that word think last is used to describe anxiety. Yeah. Uh, we are gold medalists um, of taking a bit of this and a bit of that and weaving it together and making a picture of the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, um, and that, that's the word that's used. And that's what Jesus said, be anxious for nothing. Yeah. That is, do not weave the thoughts of what is happening in the world, in your home, in the grocery store. Don't weave it all together. It's none of your jolly business. Well, then what do I do? Be anxious for nothing. Why, why, why do I have to be anxious for nothing? And he said... Father knows. Mm. 
When I first read that, I wanted to say, knows about what? He knows you. He knows everything about you by personal involvement. You are known. So don't be anxious. Don't weave your thoughts together. Rather, rest in the fact he's already woven your life together mm. with his Father knows. And in some of your older versions of the Bible, he actually says, take no thoughts. We're so, we, we've got thought machines that, that spit out thoughts a million a minute, mm-hmm. all going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Take no thoughts. Father knows. Or Peter said, casting all your care upon him, using that word care. But he cares for you. There's one in Job. Job 7, 17. What is man that you magnify him, that you are concerned about him? You examine him every morning. And I'm going to tell you this. I left it out of my quote. But it actually says... Um, you examine him. You examine me every morning. I don't even have time to spit. <laughs> that is what Job said. But Job did not appreciate this. Job's coming at it negatively. He is. Uh, he actually um, reminds me of Fiddler on the Roof yeah. when he says, "Leave me alone." He said, "I know I'm the chosen people, but give me a break. Just, just back off." And he said, "That's what Job is doing." Um, to read the whole chapter. Job 7, 17. He, he says, um, you're, you're, on, you're on to me every minute. You, you want to talk to me all the time. You want to be part of what I'm doing. Give me a break. <laughs> Just give me a break. You examine me every morning. You try me every moment. But of course... If you know that one is love, which Job wasn't too sure of at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But if you know he's love, then go for it. You're involved in everything I do. Um, when I burn the teapot, you're involved in that. It's not a nothing. All of life is a something. All of life means he loves us. And that word that Job used, magnify, means make great. Mm. do great things do important things that are of value mm. as you you take somebody who's a nobody and you magnify them why would you do that why by the way even know my problem mm. Psalm 139 he just says it how precious mm. are your thoughts to me O oh God mm. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. They said, that's just you thinking of me. That along everybody else. And the one maybe I like it a lot. Uh, Isaiah 55. I like it because religion has played with this verse. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Yeah. My ways are not your ways. Oh, how religion loves that. <laughs> Every time something goes wrong in your life, some sad-faced beagle will come and his, your thoughts are not his thoughts. Your ways are not his ways. You know, he does this sort of stuff. We call it bad. He calls it good. He's a weird God. So he just messes up your life and says, isn't it wonderful? His ways are not your ways. You ever heard that? Oh, we, no, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's got nothing to do with that. Of course, the whole chapter is begins by saying, "Come, I want you to buy food with no money. I'm giving it away. I want you to drink for no money." And then he says, and I, I love. I think it's the message translation. The next verse. He says, why do you spend money on religious slop when you could be receiving this as a gift? And then, because my ways are not your ways. 
All you can think of is, I get what I deserve. Yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. All you can think of is that the way of I do my best, the way of trying my hardest, the way of I really want to please God, that's the way you're going. You've missed me completely. You don't have a clue what I'm talking about or thinking about. Because all his thoughts are love and grace. And the moment, think about this, the moment you take grace, that is God's intense giving. I, I say that because, well, I've been <coughs> accused, I... <coughs> Surprised my face isn't in the post office, but because uh, I've been accused uh, of preaching hyper grace. Yeah, no, you ever heard of that? It, that they're accusing us of going too far with grace. God couldn't be that good. I, I had one pastor say to me. Well, grace is okay as long as the next step you take is law. Oh, it says that balances you out. <laughs> and then it makes you a paper. <laughs> no, it, it says, you know, how did we get here? How did we get here? By grace. You, you don't think you earned your right to be a human being. No, you're here. You're here. You were conceived in your mother's womb by grace. Mm -hmm. So the creation of the world and us little people on it, that's by grace. <coughs> the first couple, everything they did was by grace. They received, they received, they received. The trees were already, it was in September, it was all the trees were ready to eat. Just go and eat anything, it's all there. Take, 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 take. And then there came another thought. And that thought was that they were in charge. And they had to do in order to prove that they were gods. And they had to do good. And they would choose what good meant. <coughs> they had to avoid evil. And they had to make up what that meant was they gods now. And with that in human mind, there was comparison. Because yeah. the moment I tried to please God, another set of eyes came into play. Yeah. I'm watching you. Uh. How long did you spend praying today? Mm. <laughs> How how many chapters of the Bible did you read today? I thank you, oh God, I'm not as other men. I read in the Bible. I memorize. I pray God. Comparison. Comparison is the atmosphere of that filthy idea, thought, that came into the mind of Adam. And with comparison, there comes reward. Oh, yeah. I get all the reward because I just, uh, I'm better than you. Nice. I think I've told you before, the Pharisee, as part of his being a Pharisee, would get out of bed and stand by his bed every morning, raise his right hand oh, yeah. and say, I thank you, O oh God, I am not as other men. I thank you, O oh God, I am a man and not a woman. Thank you that I am a man and not a dog. I am a Pharisee. And shall I give you a list of everything I've done? And by the way, I thank you that I'm not like my next door neighbors. That, that's fact. That's not made up. Sign up to be a Pharisee and you see what you have to do. Comparison. I am right with God because I'm better than you. That's why I always need a few tax men in the audience. Because I can always say I, I, I'm better than him. 
the coming of grace, there's no comparison. You're here by sheer grace. You have not earned one moment of your walk with God. You haven't earned it. Amen. I could push it and say you didn't deserve it. But we, we certainly define grace by songs. Terrible. You know, grace. Uh, say the wretch like me. Well, the wretches know that. Yeah. Some who aren't so wretched better know it. We're, we're all on level ground here. Yeah. Doesn't matter who you're talking to, we're on level ground. Right. Everybody's here by grace. God gifted every one of us, and the thoughts he thinks of every one of us are grace thoughts. Yeah. <clears throat> so there's no rewards. Fantastic. We all have it all together. We all won. Amen. We all got a gold medal. <laughs> but then, if there's no reward, there's no punishment. Amen. <laughs> reward and punishment are the necessity of leaving grace out of your vocabulary. Once you bring grace in, then it's not so. And that's where I, I take issue with those who accuse us of hyper grace. Yeah. <coughs> because in Romans 5, it's so plain. It says what I just said. There was grace. Everything that God does, every, every act of God is grace. And then Adam fell. <coughs> and said, it says Romans 5. It says, then... Where sin now abounds, grace did now much more abound. And the word much more in Greek is hyper. So we're right on track. We are enjoying the hyper grace of God. Yes. It was grace to create. It was grace to make mankind. Yes. But when they all crashed, grace continued. But it was a type of grace. Yes. I've never seen any grace like this before. <laughs> and so, we're living in this, in this new world. If I'm going to understand the mind of Christ, if I'm going to understand this life where I'm constantly aware, and whenever I would think about it, I'm aware I'm being loved, I'm being watched as a lover watches the beloved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then I begin to understand I'm being loved. Millisecond by nanosecond. Yeah. It's, we live in this surging world that is ever giving to us. It takes all the whining and the groveling and the I'm not worthy, all that crap out of your mouth. Because you realize I am graced, I am exalted, I am magnified. Yes. Believe it or not, I'm going to stop there. <coughs> There's nothing wrong with me. I, I, I can't hear what you said. I just said I'm going to stop there. Um, I believe we need to think about this for a moment. Amen. Father, thank you that you are the God of all grace. You are He who is love. Thank you, Father fountain of love. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Mary. Thank you that you became flesh and you fleshed out that love and you spoke, you were the Word of God. We came to know your thoughts through you, the Word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for binding us all together, being the master of ceremonies of our joy. 
Yes. We receive it all from you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.